to episode 140 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 30th of August, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Howdy. And Graham. Hello. Yes, Will's gone on holiday by mistake, so uh, (laughs) he will be back in a couple of weeks, hopefully. But before we actually get on with it, you want to say thank you, Phelan. I do. Now, there's too many to thank, because a load of people wrote into us to say... Firefox, edit the CSS if you don't like the new interface. Last update to Firefox, they took away all my disablements of their new interface. I did much gnashing of teeth. Um, so I edited the CSS. I found a, a stumble across an article at the time that said the same thing, and I checked a few things back and forth. And I now have a nice, thin, square, old-school-looking tab bar along the top that isn't eating up those extra three to four pixels that the new one was. And uh, I'm much happier. I forget what it's like to be a 1080p peasant. On my 1440p display, that's not an issue. I have three monitors. I'm not concerned with these things. (laughs) You obviously are. Otherwise, you wouldn't have pissed around editing CSS, would you? It just looks awful, these daft, unambiguous. You don't even know where the tabs start and end. It's just, it's who came up with it? I don't know. But anyway. Anyway, well, it's sorted now. And thank you, everyone, who helped you, eh? I agree with you, Fadim, for the record. I've now been, <laughs> now I've been living with it for a little time. Um, they're just floating there. There's no oh. direct connection between the page that's loaded in the browser and the button that's used to activate it. And there's the two lines of text when it's playing a video. It's like, yeah. no. I'd... It's just something different. So, you know, something to differentiate it from another browser and it's just pointless. Yeah. Well, I think it's fine. I'm well used to it by now. Let's do some news then. The first is DebConf has just wrapped up and there's some videos available. Yeah, I sucked this in. Um, I, to be quite honest, to my shame, didn't even realize DebConf was starting until it was already talking about the videos that are up. So I sort of missed it this year for some reason. Um, but there are some really good videos in there and uh, definitely worth a look. Right, yeah, well, link in the show notes. So the big news is that Linux is 30 years old. If I could teleport back in time, I would have brought myself a distro from now and said, look, forget all that shite you're about to do and college whatever just stick with this not the one hour unix lecture that we got and then the 30 minute how to use gcc it was like just concentrate on the wrong things i was actually at university this time 30 years ago doing computer science and all the labs are running i think novell netware or something like that and i can remember distinctly it didn't take long but it it, within like 12 months, the lab technicians were kind of murmuring and talking between themselves that mm, this is something that we could install and use and save money and it would be a big improvement. And by the third year, they were running Linux as the back end for the networking. It was really exciting. And we were able to use email or email out of Janet, which was the joint academic network at the time back in 1991, 1992. So it was really exciting. I didn't actually use Linux properly until a few years after that. But yeah, happy birthday. Also, the um, the email that you linked to, the famous oh, Annie Tam. Um, wow, that's classic stuff, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Linux is obsolete. And he's talking about how Minix is way better and Linux is uh, going to go nowhere. And then proceeds to get beaten with deck chairs and thrown through tables and such forth after that by everybody chiming in on it. <laughs> This is a bit of an aside, but it reminds me of um, 
Karl Heinz Stockhausen, who was um, um, who is a music composer, uh, oh, here we done go. an awful lot of stuff, very formative. He was asked to listen to some music by the Aphex Twin, so it's a bit like Andy Tannenbaum being asked to come on, on uh, Linus Torvalds Linux. And he said that the Aphex Twin should listen to one of his tracks called Song of Youth, which is electronic music and a young boy's voice sings with himself. <laughs> And the Aphex Twin responds and says, I think that uh, Karl Heinz Stockhausen said, listen to a couple of my, tracks of mine, didgeridoo, and then stop making a track, abstract random patterns you can't dance to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should fade you out and add the reverb on that one, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling old. But there are actually three or four birthdays for Linux. They're all around about this time of year in 1991 more or less, just with the various releases and when he started and the first private beta and all the rest of that. So it doesn't really matter when it was. Suffice to say, it was 30 years ago, and it has taken over completely in the last 30 years. It took over much more quickly than that, really. And in fact, I know we, we talked about Fuchsia and everything now, and, in, and Greg KH was asked about Fuchsia in an interview about this, and he didn't seem worried enough i don't think to me maybe he's trying to downplay it or whatever but it feels like after 30 years that may maybe maybe we're ripe for disruption from google that is the beauty of linux overall it's constantly disrupting itself people go oh it's a it's a monolithic kernel well it isn't it's got modules that can be reloaded in and out look at the state of machines from 30 years ago to what we have now even the phones and stuff like that it's amazing the changes that have gone through the whole ecosystem all the way through that and it's kept up all the time and it's the most dominant mobile phone and server os i think it's it's definitely doing something right whatever it is oh yeah and it will take a long time for it to be replaced and disrupted never but <laughs> nothing lasts forever does it uh, tom scott said recently in a video um it will pass and that applies to good times as well as bad and it's you know quite a deep philosophical thought really but you know things are going really well for linux right now but it will pass yeah and i think what's important is that you know Microsoft Windows was so hugely dominating when Linux was first developed and Linux still succeeded. But what we need to ensure is that we have access to hardware, that we can still install our own software, that it's still not something that is publicized as helping terrorists. It's something that we can still do so that in the future, if we do need to reinvent Linux, we can. No, it'll all be future on lockdown arm devices. <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. So Samsung's new Z Fold 3, or is it Z Fold 3? 
no, it's fucking Z, I don't care what you say, has come out and it's the the darling of the foldable phones, this new uh, paradigm that's going to totally take over and not just be the next 3D TV or anything. But anyway, it's come out and people have tried to unlock the bootloader and you can do it, but it disables a bunch of stuff. Some security stuff, which, okay, fair enough, but it also disables the cameras if you unlock the bootloader. What the fuck, Samsung? My first thought is that there's some secret stuff going on that they just want to completely lock down and not expose in any way to an unlocked phone. How secret can it be, though? Hmm. Okay, I know you give out about my lack of firmware on my phone, Joe, uh, and when you take night shots, they look amazing. Although I think they look like someone went with Microsoft Paint flood fill and flood filled in a lot of the images. <laughs> if you used paint. <laughs> no. <laughs> my wife sent me a photo of our son at the beach in a wetsuit jumping through the water, and there was a slight bit of motion blur, and I swear that her new phone put in a rando face because I was like, who are you sending me a picture of? Who is this? Why are you sending me some rando child? Because it does not look like him. It is uncanny. And I think there's tomfoolery going on in the mm, firmware. That's what he should look like. <laughs> yes, technically. You are wrong, failing. Did it make him look like the milkman by any chance? <laughs> I have something to tell you, beloved. <laughs> This is part of a worrying trend, though, isn't it, against controlling your own devices? It is a bit, to be honest. The one part of me says maybe this will drive people who really want to have an open phone towards an open phone rather than buying another device and, like, flashing on something. I don't know if that's a sort of a naive way of looking at it. I'm not sure. But it's funny you mentioned it's this is a Fold 3. I was walking the dog and met somebody who had a Fold 2, and it was a monster of a thing, like... And when he unfurled it, it was literally a, like, seven-inch tablet. Well, yeah, that's the point of it. It is nuts. Who needs a phone that big? And it has this daft crease up the middle of it. It's like, it's the weirdest thing. I don't understand, Phelan. You were walking around and you met a stranger, and that stranger let you touch their phone. A, not a stranger. Dog walkers. Ash, we all band together. <laughs> right. Okay. Not in London. You, they'd think you were trying to steal it <laughs> and they'd uh, call the police or whatever. Well, I think realistically, most people, if not all people who buy a Z Fold 3 are not looking to unlock the bootloader and root it and put a custom ROM on there. Most people are just consumers and so they won't care. A few people who work for tech sites or have a blog or a podcast or a real hardcore enthusiasts have found this out, but they are in a tiny minority. And so more and more of this shit is going to slip by to the point where we just have no control of our devices as they all go to ARM, as Apple has led with the M1 and the M1X that's coming soon or whatever, we're going to be going down this path where we just have no control anymore. And it's, it's, I, I wish I had more positive shit to say about it. Like, oh, well, here is the solution to it. But there is no fucking solution. We're all fucked. I would be more willing to put up with older hardware, though, in those cases. So the, the kind of not cutting-edge technology that still is working in the manufacturers or the companies that are able to create products like that that are bigger and fatter and maybe don't have as much battery life, I'd be willing to make that compromise then. Whereas I, I'm not quite at the moment. I don't know why. But I'd be willing to make that compromise for something that I could use myself. So maybe there'd be an opportunity for businesses then. I think there will be. I think that, yeah, that's a good ray of light. Well done, Graham. I think there will be businesses that pop up and sell us devices that we do have control over. They'll be in the minority, but 
there'll probably be enough of a sizable minority that it will be a viable business. And things like the Fairphone, for example, and Pinephone and stuff like that will exist and there will be options. They probably won't be as good as the latest fancy folding hologram phone that teleports you or whatever it is. But at least you'll be able to do some stuff like Phalem can. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, they won't be leaking your biometric data you can't change unless you get an angle grinder on the go uh, once their cloud structure's been hacked to bits. Yeah. We had mostly good news about Magisk this week. John Wu, who is the developer of that, was hired by Google a few months ago, and it was looking a bit doom and gloom. We talked about it on the show, I think, because it looked like he wasn't going to be able to continue development on that. Well, now he's actually come out and said that he is going to continue development, although the caveat is that Magisk Hide, which is what allows you to have a rooted phone but lie to applications about it, that is pretty much going away. So... There will be certain ways to hide root, but it's going to get harder and harder, which we knew anyway. But I think ultimately this is good news. It's a bit weird that he's gone to join Google and then had this large period where he had to get approval that he could do a thing that was a hobby previously. I mean, I've not worked for a large company. I've worked for myself, but that just seems weird that they can dictate what you can do in your pastime. Not really. That's pretty normal. As I understand it. Yeah. It's pretty normal, but it, it should it be? <laughs> no, but what do you do when Google offers you so much money? But I mean, I think even companies, I mean, Google owns everything that you do, the, the thoughts and inventions that you have outside of work time, and, and they're not uncommon in being that way. It is a bit obscene, I think. It is, yeah. Well, yeah, that's among the huge list of reasons that I don't have a job and work for myself doing this thing. And similarly for you, Phelim, like... I don't do well with being told what to do. Like if I got a job with them and they told me, no, you have to go through this huge process of getting loads of people to approve it, I'd tell them to go and fuck themselves and I'd soon be out of a job, wouldn't I? I just find it weird for hiring him. They knew who he was when they hired him. It's not like he would have kept this a secret. So I just think it's a bit of a dystopian future we're getting into where, you know, various companies can decide what you can and cannot do when you're not working for them. No, Phelan, you're completely wrong. It's not a dystopian future. It's a dystopian present. Ah, I see. <laughs> that is a good point. Well argued. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets. Training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven-day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux it includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. We have some good news about the Apple M1, though, and that is that you can now boot to a GNOME desktop on bare metal with Asahi Linux. I think that's how you say it. Like the beer. Ah, God, yeah, that's right. And this is thanks to efforts from a young dev called Alyssa, who's been working on the graphics side of things. The caveat here is that it's not 
hardware accelerated, although apparently it's still running reasonably well because it's so fucking powerful, the M1. But it's it's kind of a good sign, isn't it, that progress is being made here. I was so skeptical that this was going to happen, but it is, it's been happening. And here we are, you can actually boot a proper GNOME desktop on it. I think it's amazing work. Oh, I'm just so scared that Apple just go, <laughs> you've had your fun now. Bang, there goes locked bootloader for you. But the further they get along with this project and the more people that start using it, it's going to be harder and harder for Apple to do it. Yeah. Do you really think so? Yeah, I think the PR backlash is not worth it for them at this point. But they don't care. What have they got to gain from locking it down? Oh, security. Oh, protect the children. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Much like their, the last episode we had, you know, they can spin it whatever they want to. It's. Uh... I could see them locking it down on the next version of the CPU so that it won't work and then you just got to live with it on the older macbook pros yeah yeah but even if they do that you've still got all of the mac minis Mm. uh, macbook airs macbook pros and the relatively new iMacs as well so there's a lot of devices there that this hopefully will bring a second life to once they get abandoned by apple yeah as long as they don't upload some firmware to the trusted platform chip and then you know not let it boot anything else Yeah, but again, I don't see why they would do that. They have nothing to gain from that. I agree with Graham. I think that it could well happen on future chips, in which case a lot of this effort is potentially wasted long term. But even then, I don't think it's worth the PR gaffe for them. Is the best outcome for Apple not for you to recycle your laptop back to them and then there not be a secondhand market? Yes, true. But I think that realistically, that is such a tiny, tiny percentage of people absolutely yes you're right you're right i know it is tiny but so they just don't care do they (laughs) i don't believe you (laughs) well time will tell but i get the feeling that me and graham will be right about this or me or graham will be right about it hashtag admiral akbar (laughs) and it is good news for now i mean it's great news for now um i'd be definitely tempted to buy one of those laptops if it could run native Linux, even with GNOME. Oh, well, if it'll run GNOME, it'll probably run Plasma, won't yeah, it? KD will run like a flash on it then, because <laughs> let's face it, one thread churning away. Yeah, but without wobbly windows, there's just no point. <laughs> <laughs> on to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to find out more about it, latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month, on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed, so check it out. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And if you or the company you work for is looking to get the word out about your products or services, then get in touch with us about advertising on the show. And also check out Late Night Linux Extra 29. I think we're really into the groove now with Gary, Chris, Dalton and me. We were talking about reporting bugs and how we're honestly pretty terrible at it and why we should be better at it. But it was a good laugh. Check it out. Good episode, right? Especially highlighted two bugs that I haven't been bothered to even report myself, but I should. Yeah, exactly. So there'll be a link in the show notes anyway. There was a somewhat disturbing post by Jeremy Keith on his blog recently called Resigning from the AMP Advisory Committee, where he details how he wasn't expecting to be allowed to join in the first place and how frustrated he got while he was part of that committee, and ultimately why he left. And he sums it up in this post with, this is an interesting time for AMP, whatever AMP is. See, that's been a problem with Google AMP from the start. There are multiple definitions of what AMP is. And he talks about how 
it's not really open source, even though it is part of the OpenJS Foundation. Only really one aspect of the three key aspects of it are open source, and Google still has loads of control over it. I mean, this is what we all suspected all along, isn't it? Well, I know I suspected it. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. I know, I was shocked too. Yeah, it's a bit of a no-shit Sherlock moment. <laughs> yeah. But it, it feels like just confirmation, doesn't it, that it feels like AMP is, it's not dead yet, and it, perhaps it's not even moribund just yet, but it's, it has no future, surely. Yeah, I mean, if we're to believe, I mean, I'm not calling him a liar or anything, but if we're to believe, like, the feeling he got from all the uh, the meetings he said where the Google person would show up as if it was their project, and what did you think of our project, not this open thing that we're all doing together? It was very much a owned by Google, a Google thing, and we'll kind of really do what we want to, and you're here for candy on the outside. And they weren't even allowed to comment about various lawsuits and stuff. And he felt, well, what if they're going to comment back the way and say, oh, look, all this great stuff we're doing in the community here with this meeting together, you know. Um, yeah, not not a great feeling, really. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops and servers and most parts are configurable so you can pick the CPU, RAM and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain and if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop down at checkout and you can select late night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Let's do KDE Corner then. And there's a review from Nico who we've uh, linked to a lot of his YouTube videos and stuff before. Uh, this time it's the Pinebook and the Pinephone, not the Pinebook Pro though. Yeah, because he does complain a little bit about a bit of warping in the touchpad and stuff, and that was obviously a plastic model, whereas the Pinebook Pro is the, is it magnesium aluminium body or something like that? But he, he like straight away fell in love with the Pinebook Pro. He said his one of his friends bought it for his birthday, and I'd just like to point out to all my friends why they haven't bought me one for my birthday. <laughs> Share <Shara> bastards. <laughs> Well, it's funny, I dug out my Pinebook, the original one, the other day, and the screen's fucked. Like, not Ooh. fucked, fucked, but like, it's got this ghosting around the outside of it. It's Ooh, like, really weird. Did it get crushed by any chance? I don't think so. I had a Sputnik V2, and I think they misaligned the, or not misaligned, but they, they didn't factor in just a fraction of a millimeter of spacing. And a lot of the models ended up getting a screen replacement. And I was lucky enough, even though I was a day outside my warranty, they said, yeah, yeah, no problem. They got it swapped because I had this weird, like, it was like a streak of like Tipex on the screen almost. The most bizarre looking thing ever, but it started getting brighter and brighter. Very weird. Now, this is like almost a halo, a dark halo around the whole screen, where if you've got a colored background, which I seldom do, but occasionally have when i'm trying stuff really <laughs> well the defaults or whatever but it, it looks like it's almost like a deliberate rt effect but then you look at any image or whatever at first i thought that's a weird background and then no it, it's actually just this the panel seems to be just slowly dying on me which is a bit concerning because i've not used the pine book that much to be honest because it's a bit slow and stuff and especially since i got the pine book pro so I only get it out and update it every so often and, you know, see what's going on with it. So that's a bit disappointing, really, long term. 
Weird, yeah. Or, or they're trolling you with sneaking in graphical features that you didn't want. Yeah, that obviously must be what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's funny though, he does say he got the two things almost at the same time, the Pine Book and then the Pine Phone. And he said he instantly fell in love with the Pine Book, but the Pine Phone took about a week or two after to kind of get used to because he, as a KD developer, they got all sent out one. But he started to love both of the two things. And it's quite a good video and you get to see how it runs you know he, he talks through a few things and how he feels about them and well worth a watch and a couple of funny outtakes at the end where i think a guy in a moped was trolling him at some point all right and what's this kde pim update so the kde pim project is obviously the mail client calendar all these things tied together all the libraries that tie them as well and um, that's gone through the usual sort of few months of work. And uh, one of the particular ones that was coming out that they've been working on unit tests to try and get a lot of that stuff tested without failing. Uh, as you can imagine, old code base that's, you know, very critical to getting your email and calendar and stuff. It, 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 those type of things are very important. And uh, they've been working on that very hard. Uh, one of the other main things is the calendar app. And uh, we've also got a link to the calendar application. They've been doing some really nice things. And this is going to be on the new PinePhone-like stuff for anywhere that you're using it on a mobile client. And I think it is actually a really nice-looking application. And it's also got a new to-do feature set up that's really nice and um, a really quality product. And it looks like they're really gaining momentum behind on that. And they've got it playing out on a PinePhone. They do say that it's... <laughs> A bit slow to use on it because it's obviously not the horsepower is not there and maybe it's not optimized as much, but it's it's nice to see it actually running on a proper device. Okay, and you actually did find a KDE Mastodon client then? Yeah, so uh, I got pinged by Alish, the KDE president, and he said, "Ah, oh, here you might want to try this," and uh, I didn't yet. <laughs> I will. Uh, it does require a bit of self compilation. Um, but Tokadon, a Mastodon client for Plasma and Plasma Mobile. So that's quite good because they're getting in there, obviously, with the phone stuff too. Uh, early days yet, you kind of have to do a self-compile. But um, I'm going to try and get it going for next episode in two weeks' time. All right, and the last one is something I put in. Warning, scam mails about Krita and YouTube coming from Krita.io. Talk about making it, huh? I know, right? Yeah. And they updated the post fairly recently saying it's a ransomware attack. So you've really got to be careful about this. It's um, emails coming from other domains that are not creta.org, essentially. Yeah, and this is why the W3C or ICANN or whoever decided that we needed all these various domains are shareable. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if, if you're a company, you have to buy all these ridiculous domain names and it's literally a one entry in a database file. Yeah, okay, let's buy Krita.pepsi, Krita.coca-cola, Krita.app, Krita. Jesus Christ. It just needs to stop. Yeah. Realistically speaking, you don't know what is the official one. I mean, I know. Th- those days are long gone, like at this point. I know, that's why all my domains are really long, and I always go for the .com. But if you've got something short like Krita, like, yeah, you, that it could well be .io or .app, and you, you wouldn't think that that was yeah. anything wrong with it. And they are crafty bastards these days. Even my bank, I'm sure I've complained about it before, actually sends email from a domain that is not what the website comes from, which is really stunning. Thanks, Bank of Ireland. Um, And every one of their emails I look at and go, yeah, I'm not clicking on your links, thanks, and just delete it straight away and then go to the app and check. And yeah, usually it's actually a proper email, but it's just ridiculous. Yeah, same. I get 
emails from my bank and it's like fucking all caps and stuff and i'm thinking like <laughs> really and that, that it fucking really is from them and i'm like i'm not clicking anything in this this and, is your file notice well no it's usually just like here's a message and then the message is here's your electronic statement it's like yeah the point of electronic statements is to not fucking message me about it you <laughs> bastards <laughs> anyway but yeah it's something to uh, be aware of right well we'd better get out of here then We'll be back next week when we've got special guest Gary from Late Night Linux Extra, who will be trolling Phelim about the cloud, among other things as well, elementary OS and all sorts. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelim. And I've been Graham. See you later. <laughs>